Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? If you're doing fantastic and better than you deserve, I want you to put your hands together real quick. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, one more thing. Hey, let's welcome in our Sherwood campus down there with a big booming round of applause. It's great to have them with us today. Um, If your team won yesterday, put your hands together. Okay, so most of it's Georgia Bulldogs. So apparently um, a little team from South Carolina won yesterday too. They beat Tennessee's, but that's a whole other story, right? Man, I'm going to tell you, I'm excited um, today. As I mentioned several weeks ago, we have a special guest uh, communicator. Actually, he's not a guest anymore. Uh, your family around this place. I was thinking in the other day, um, actually, when I was in the DR this past week, like, how am I going to introduce Bill differently? And I, I used to say, this is our missionary from Haiti, or this is a friend. But what I realized, and I, I'm a strong believer in this, we are the, we are the best of, of the five people that we hang out with. So the five people that we allow speak into our life, we become the best of those five. And I can honestly say that Bill Howard is in my five. He's one of those guys that when I'm struggling or when I'm trying to think things through, that he would be a guy that I would, I would call. And so I want you to do me a favor because he's not just my friend, he's our friend here. I want you to give a huge warm welcome for not just Bill, but his wife, Jen. I want you to be a round of applause right now for Bill Howard. All right, thank you. I've said, I think maybe from the very first time I came, man, I love this church. I love worshiping here. I always feel the Holy Spirit. I think the first time I came here, we were back in the room somewhere back in here. And with the praise team before the service ever started, and I was just, you know, I was just crying. I sensed the Holy Spirit there so strongly and love Bobby and his leadership here. And everything starts with leadership. And man, you just, Walk onto the campus. I did. I drove onto the campus this morning. Turned left into the wrong uh, into the wrong entrance. But there's the times. I said that's what they do. They just make everything simple, straightforward. It's a great church. Great leaders. Love love you, Bobby, and grateful to be here today. One just quick 15 second update on Haiti. Lord, please keep praying for those people. It is unbelievably difficult. Now, we got a lot of ch- uh, child sponsors here in the church. Your money is still going there every month. Two, four, five, your village is still being, pastors still being pr- paid. They're still praising God every Sunday, this Sunday. Uh, the children are uh, still going there. The school teachers are still getting paid, but that country is a disaster. Just please pray that God's hand would break the deception and the darkness that's there. We need your prayers more than ever. Well, open your Bibles, if you have them, to John chapter 8. I'm going to share there with you under this theme of loving your neighbor. It's an odd scripture to use for this, I know, but it's something I think God's going to speak to your heart this morning. One of the interesting things about the Winter Olympics, comes along every four years, is the couple's Figure skating. 
I'm not a big fan of the sport, but every Winter Olympics, every four years, I always had to watch into these couples because it's an amazing thing to see them skating along with such beauty and, and the lady out there, and she's all beautiful and dolled up, and the guys in his all frilly costume, and they're skating, and they're spinning, and they're jumping, and they're twirling, and you say, that is skill right there. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the men throws the lady up and you go, that was amazing. But then he sneaks up behind her. He grabs her by the waist and he lifts her up in the sky. And you're going, that is crazy. But then he does the unimaginable. And with one hand, he holds this woman up and she goes out of this beautiful figure. Now think of that. All she's got to hold her body in this effortless but very difficult position is his hand into her belly and she just spreads out with this incredible strength. And this strength goes down the man's hand into his shoulders, into his core, down to his thighs. And he is holding her up effortlessly on one foot and one thin blade of ice, and you're going, that is an amazing feat. So beautiful and effortless and graceful, but paired with such unbelievable strength. That balance, that beautiful balance, takes years and years and years to master. And what I want to tell you today there is a similar balance of grace and strength that you and I must master in our Christian life. In this world that we live in, my goodness, with everything in the world being thrown at the church and believers, when our faith is under attack, like I know we all agree, like never before in our lifetime where basic terms and definitions are being flipped upside down and there's no truth anymore. And Christians now are not the ones who are the lovers. Christians are now called the judgers, the haters of the world. For us to glide through this world and love our neighbor and be a proper witness for Jesus, we have to learn this beautiful balance, this balance of holding grace and love and mercy and truth all together in one effortless movement. And it is vital for us to learn to do that. The beautiful balance of a Christian is holding both grace and truth at the same time. So let's look at a, at a wonderful illustration of Jesus in his life where he teaches us and he lays out the foundation for us doing that very thing. John chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went, into the Mount of, went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now, notice there, all the people, wherever Jesus went, people followed him. People always wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing. They wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to see him. They were, they were hoping they would see a miracle. But wherever he is, whoever he touched, they were watching him. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Now notice the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious experts, they were always in conflict with Jesus. Jesus. 
Jesus didn't have a whole lot of problem with a lost world. Go back and study the scripture. Jesus was always in conflict with the religious leaders. The religious leaders were always looking for the outside. How do you look on the outside? What rules are you keeping? What commandments are you obeying and breaking? Jesus would often refer to them as whitewashed tombs or a cup that was clean on the outside, but it was filthy and dirty on the inside. So they were always in conflict together. And, and keep in mind here, Jesus is here teaching the crowd, and in come these Pharisees and these religious leaders, and they had a woman caught in adultery. They say to him in verse 4, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Now just push the pause button. Who's missing here? They bring this lady, they throw her down before him and they say, what do you say to do? Lady, who is missing here? Where is the man? Do you ever read that scripture? Where, where is the man? Was he taking a nap? You know, was he just at home having a cool drink of water? Did he slip out the back, Jack? Did he make a new plan, Stan? Did he use the decoy, Roy? Now, if you're 40 years or younger, you're going, what is he talking about? Did he hop on the bus, guys? But if you know, you know, you know. Scripture 2010 says, if a man commits adultery, both the adulterer and the adulteress is to be put to death. So we read that and we go, well, this isn't fair. This isn't justice. This isn't going to be a proper ruling. But then we learn in verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This isn't about fairness. This isn't about justice. This is about a trap. They didn't want the man. They didn't want a man in there confusing everything. They wanted a woman. They wanted a broken woman. They wanted a woman who had been humiliated. They wanted a woman who was burdened by shame and alone and their helpless laying before them because they knew that Jesus would have a soft spot for such a woman. She was the perfect bait. Have you ever set a mouse trap? You get out the mouse trap and you get you unscrew the lid of the peanut butter, you dip it in, you stick it on the end of that, and you hold that little thing back and even though you've done it all your life, you're you're doing it just barely holds and you get it and you put it down and you slide it into the spot where you know the mouse is going to be traveling. This woman was to peanut butter. And they put her on the trap and they slid her in in front of Jesus and they said, now what are you going to do? And they said, we have got him now. And the crowd who was watching, remember, there's a religious leader, there's a lady, and there's the crowd, the lady in the crowd. They knew they had him. If Jesus would have said, no, 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 don't stone her, that would have broken the Mosaic law that I just read to you. 
The Mosaic law was given to declare what sin is. It was such a godless nation that, that Jesus gave this firm, solid law. Do these things, don't do these things. If you do these, you'd be punished for to, to bring them out the law. So if Jesus would have said, no, don't stone her, he would have been breaking the Mosaic law. He couldn't have been God. Or if Jesus says, okay, stoner, then he would have been breaking the Roman law. You remember, the Hebrews had no authority to give the death sentence. They were living under the rule of the Romans. Only the Romans could declare death sentence. That's why when they were bringing Jesus to be crucified, they had to bring in the Pilate, the governor. They had to get permission. They had to have his seal to be able to kill Jesus. That's why they brought him there, and he ruled on whether Jesus should live or die. So either way, if Jesus says stoner, they've got him. If Jesus says no, don't stoner, they've got him. And they're sitting there. They know that the trap is set. And they know he is about to step in the trap with whatever words that come out of his mouth. But he does the oddest thing. Verse 6b, Jesus stooped down and he rode in the dust with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I guarantee you, he had an intention behind it. Everything Jesus did was pointed toward the cross and our salvation. The Bible's not telling us that Jesus was so nervous, his hands were so fidgety, he just sat down and he started scribbling with his hands because he didn't know what to do. No, Jesus had a very specific purpose in what he was doing. We don't know for a fact what it was. I can give you my opinion. It's just my opinion. I believe, I believe he knelt down and he wrote very specific sins. Idolatry. Adulterer. Thief. Blasphemer. Dishonors his parents. Fails to keep the Sabbath. I believe he wrote very intentional sins. Whatever it was, it wasn't so much that it distracted them that they stopped the questions because look, verse 7, when they persisted in questioning him, so he wrote down, I'm sure they noticed, I'm sure the crowd was looking at what he wrote. But they kept on, Jesus, answer the question, what do you do? What should we do? Jesus stands up and he says, the one without sin among you, be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and he started writing. Again, not drawing, not scribbling, writing again. Now keep in mind, the religious leaders knew very well that they were sinful people. None of them would have said, I'm without sin. To say that I am without sin is to saying that I'm God. I'm sinless. I'm perfect. I'm God. He wrote again. I believe when he wrote the second time, he wrote their names out beside the sin. Idolater, Zacharias, Adulterer, Jonah, 
covets Levi, and he wrote it out. So here are these men, and they are ready to do business. And Jesus says, so today, we're going to stone sinners. And they go, yes! And he says, and you realize that you too are sinners. And they go, and so he says, so today we are going to start with this woman and then we're going to um, Matthew, Zacharias, Levi. And you heard the rocks. Dropping verse 9, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, maybe the one most aware of their sin, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. The stage shifts, it rotates. Remember, we had Jesus, the woman, the accusers, and then the crowd. Now the accusers all leave, and it's back to Jesus and the woman and the crowd looking on, and they are riveted to what is happening. They cannot believe it. He was trapped. He was over. He was done with. But now he lives again. Somehow he got out of it. And they are watching what can possibly happen next. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one accused you? No, no, he didn't say that. He said, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Notice that word, condemned you. That's a big word. Condemn means to declare to be reprehensible. to declare to be guilty, to declare to be evil. Because of her sin, they had declared her, the religious leaders had declared her to be guilty, to be reprehensible, to be evil. And with rocks in their hands and hatred in their heart, they were about to bring about the punishment for being reprehensible and and evil and guilty. And Jesus uses the story now that only the crowd is left to look at the crowd and say, you need to understand this, that condemnation and punishment are not in the vocabulary. It's not in the job description of a follower of Jesus. Those are not the tools, the weapons you are to use with a lost world. Do you hear that? As we're reaching out and as we're loving our neighbor, we cannot do that with a rock in our hand. We cannot do that with stones. Jesus will help you build people up. He will never help you tear them down. You've got to learn. We've got to learn to drop the rocks. For us to perform this beautiful balance of love and grace 
We cannot do that holding on to rocks. Now, let me give you a really important secret here to keep you from picking those rocks back up. Because I tend to pick up the rocks. Buddy, I can judge somebody in a heartbeat. I got this thing that I like to call discernment. <laughs> you ever claim that I got discernment? I'm going to tell you what your problem is. That's not discernment. That's not what that is. Here's your secret of understanding how to put down the rocks and not to pick it back up. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none that is righteous, not even one. What are we saying? We, we can never say, you're a sinner and I'm not a sinner. You can say, your sin's different than mine. That would be a true statement. But we can never declare the world to be guilty and not understand that we're declaring at the same time ourselves to be guilty. When we're saying, you deserve judgment, you deserve punishment, you deserve stones, we're saying we deserve the same thing. We're saying, I'll be next. Through this woman, Jesus is teaching us that our calling is the love and to encourage and to build up and to give mercy, not to judge and to condemn. But now, back to our skating illustration, this makes some of us nervous because some of us are saying, well, whoa, whoa, now what do you, I'm going good here. I'm giving grace. I'm giving mercy. I'm loving. But if, are you saying that sin doesn't matter? Are you saying that we just open the door and say everything's okay? That we all personally decide what is sinful, what is not, what is God's word, what is not? We all get to write the Bible ourselves? No, Jesus never said that. There's a balance. There is a balance. It's like we think that we're going, we're gliding, and whoa, gosh, now I gotta, I've got to hold on to truth. We, we do that as though truth and love and grace or in, the, in opposite directions. That I either got to go love or either got to go to the truth. I, I, I've either got to go mercy or I've got to condemn or I got to proclaim what's right or wrong. No, God never calls us to do those things. Love and mercy are twins or love and truth are twins. They always go together. They always come. If you truly love someone, you got to be truthful with them. If you're being truthful with someone, then you're truly loving them. Notice how Jesus does it. Woman, has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Jesus declares, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't pretend that it wasn't, she wasn't living in sin. I mean, it got her drugged maybe by the hair of her head out in front of the crowd. He didn't soften it. He didn't accept it. He didn't laugh at it. He didn't explain it in a way. No, sin is sin. We have to understand it's not a rule. Sin is destruction for our lives. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's not about checking off the boxes. It's about, to, it's about sharing the truth where your friends, where your family don't get devoured by the power of Satan. 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Sin causes immeasurable damage to our lives. We know that in this life and then in in eternal separation from God in the life to come. If you love someone, you have to share the truth. I mean, don't you do that with your kids? That's that's a perfect example. When our kids are growing, they're getting to that age where, man, they're starting to stand on their own two feet, but they are radically living outside of God or they're radically doing something you know is going to cause destruction in their life. Do you just go, eh, whatever. No, you get on your knees before God and you pray and you pray and you say, Lord, how do I convey this truth to them? Because I do not want to see destruction ruin their life. It is not, I love you, but I must tell you the truth. It is, I love you and I must tell you the truth. Love and truth always go together. It is a beautiful but very difficult Balance. And here's another very important truth. Please hear this. As you're trying to master this move with your family, with your neighbors, sharing the truth and convincing them of the truth are two totally separate things. One is your job as a follower of Jesus, and one is not. Jesus told her in verse 11, go now and leave your life of sin. And then notice what happened to her. Did she confess her sin? Did she leave her life of adultery? Did she surrender her life to Jesus? We don't know. We don't know. We know that she walked away with Jesus standing for her like no one has ever stood for her before. Jesus loving her like no one's loved her before. Jesus rescuing her like no one's done before. Jesus stand with her in her darkest hour like no one has before or after would ever do. And he lovingly says to her, I love you. Leave this life of sin. It's going to destroy you. And we do not know what decision she made. It was left up to her and her encounter with the living God. And thank God it's not up to us. It is left to the people we witness to and their encounter with the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, and when he comes, not you, not me, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I have a 100% failure rate trying to do the job of the Holy Spirit. I am lousy at it and so are you. That is not our job. You're to love. You're to love. And love means truth. In a loving way, love means truth. It doesn't mean the first thing you do. It doesn't mean in your face. But love means sharing truth. Loving passionately like no one loves your neighbor. 
stay with them, be there for them, minister to them. And as the Holy Spirit opens up those doors, you just share the truth. Now, one last thing in this world that we're living in, in this world, understand that sometimes you'll get to do that and it'll be, a, it'll be in a loving way. And sometimes you're going to do that and buddy, they're going to be back in your face in a heartbeat. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You're telling me that my lifestyle is wrong? Wait, wait, you're telling me that I'm living in sin. You're telling me that you think you are greater than me, better than I am. You're telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. Listen, you love enough people and then you share, bother to share the truth and this world that is spinning out of control, you better believe you're going to get that back in your face. What do you do? How do you, do, how do you handle it? This is what you do. You say, oh no. No, 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 please understand. I have no opinion. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. There is nothing, there is nothing in me that stands and qualifies me to proclaim what righteousness is to you. I am an utter failure. I've already ran the car of my life off into the ditch. I'm not telling you that. But listen, we got to go to a higher power. We got to go to someone whose ways are above our ways and whose thoughts are above our thoughts. We, none of us, not you nor I, have the capacity, have the righteousness within us to proclaim what truth is. Only God can do that. Listen, I love you. I'm a sinner just like you. I love you. But God's word says this. And when I surrendered my life to God, I surrendered my opinion to God's opinions. And I will be happy to help you, to bring you to church, to hear our pastor, come to our small group, and let's talk together. You pray for me. I'm going to pray for you. Let's study God's Word together. But let's live above our own opinions. And let's kneel at the feet of the God who died for us to make us His own. You stand in love and you stand in truth and you praise a holy God that can bring those two things together. Father, help us do that. Help us be faithful to that calling. Lord, I know, my goodness, I know. There's people here, they are battling, they are in the middle of this. Oh, Lord, give them strength. Lord, give them strength to never give up loving, but have their feet planted firmly in your truth so they can be throw out that rescue, that life-saving, uh, floatable. Lord, I'm trying to think of that swimming illustration, Lord, just to pull people back into your word and your truth and your family. Lord, you have set us free You've given us groups. You've given us this church, Lord. Give us a love that's passionate and help us call people to the truth. We love you. We praise you. We ask for your strength on us now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or want to talk to someone about taking your next step, email us at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.